know, for, for many weeks I've been talking about, really for many years I've been talking about how our lives, how we live our lives out, the things that we say to each other, the things that we say to other people, how they have a direct effect on those that are around, whether it's our family, friends, or somebody else. Uh, I was watching this news this past week, and, and you all know about the massacre that happened in the, in the church in South Carolina. I mean, just a terrible tragedy. And yet, at the arraignment of the young man who, who pulled the trigger, uh, the relatives got up and, and had a chance. In South Carolina, they can do this. Uh, some of the relatives of seven different, uh, seven different uh, people that were killed had a chance to get up and, and talk to the young man and say whatever they wanted to. And I don't know if you heard this or not, but every one of them said stuff like, may God have mercy on your soul, and, and uh, you know, I'm going to miss my father. You took my father and all that. But at the very end, they all said, but I forgive you. I forgive you. Not only was that amazing, I, I watch a show, um, uh, some people like the, the, the political shows that have a whole bunch of people talking at the same, not usually at the same time, but you know, but I watch a show called The Five on, on Fox News, and one of the guys there, uh, he's a comedian, but he's also a political commentator and stuff, uh, he's very much uh, a non-Christian, and he's very non-religious, and he says that, and anytime they discuss religion and stuff, he doesn't say, oh, well, religion's a crutch, or he doesn't do any of those things, he just says, I don't believe, and he sat there, and I almost showed it this morning, but I was amazed, because he could not put into words how he felt about them saying, I forgive you. He was just sitting there going, I, I, I'm, I'm, and he kept saying words like flabbergasted. Like, it's amazing that they could even do this. I, I can't even put into words how, what I could say about this. And it had a direct effect on him just from watching that. That's how our lives has an effect on other people. Right then, we almost kind of saw it on an instant type of reaction. But over the years, I, I keep telling you, I want you to, to understand this. How we live our lives matter. Totally matters. Totally matters. Forgiveness is a powerful, powerful tool. Even, even during our grieving, forgiveness is powerful. So, well, let's jump into the Word this morning. We are going to be in First Kings chapter 19, 1 through 18. We only have like three weeks, I think, left in uh, 1 Kings here. But last week we, we were together, we, we covered chapter 18. And chapter 18 is one of these magnificent uh, uh, chapters in the Bible that, you know, Elijah had prayed in a drought, and after three and a half years, God says, okay, now it's time to come and confront Ahab. And he, he runs into Obadiah, and he finds out that there's all these prophets that have been hidden away. Um, and we see this light and a darkness from Obadiah and who he is. And, and he can, so Elijah comes and, and confronts Ahab. And Ahab blames him for the drought. And he goes, no, 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 we're not even going to go there, buddy. This is all your fault and you know that. Let's meet up on the mountaintop. You have your wife bring all her prophets and I will go up there and we'll kind of have a duel. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see whose God is actually real. So they go and do this. 
and, and they, they take sacrifices, they, they rebuild the altars, and they, and they take sacrifices and put them out there, and, and you know, the prophets to Baal, they, they, I mean, all day long, from like 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., they're out there, you know, chanting and running around, doing all these things, even got to the point where they were cutting themselves, trying to bring their God to, 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 to take the sacrifice. And of course, their God doesn't show up because their God is not real. And Elijah sits down and he quietly prays, and, and the Lord was the Lord do. I mean, he comes down and he consumes not only, their, not only his sacrifice, but the sacrifice that was going supposedly to the other God, and all the rocks and all the dust. I mean, everything was right there. It was like a crater that goes there, but none of the people were injured. It's an amazing thing that they did, that the Lord did. And the people said, wow. And they fell down on their knees and, and their faces before God. And Elijah says, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to take care of these 450 prophets. And some of and what he means by take care of is that we need to kill them. And some people go, well, how could God allow that? You've got to remember, these 450 prophets have been for years telling people to sacrifice their firstborn to, the, to their God that was not real. You see what I'm saying? Capital punishment coming very quickly on this end. So they, they round up the false prophets and execute them. And, and then, uh, you know, Elijah prays and, and says, okay, it's going to rain. And he sends the king back and, and he kind of uh, pulls up his, his cloak and he hikes back there and beats the king back to town and stays in charge. So when he gets to the palace, I mean, the buzz is on. I mean, the TV crews are all there. Uh, Geraldo has already, you know, got a nightly special going and you know, uh, you know how it is. How many people heard about the freeway closure, closure on Friday around here? Okay, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, news, I mean, that was just a hay truck caught on fire, so they closed down the freeway to take care of it, okay? Uh, so a whole bunch of hands go up around here. Imagine 450 prophets being killed and, and you know, the fire from heaven taking the, uh, I mean, news gets around, right? So Elijah gets back to town. He's still in charge. But the queen is infuriated. The queen is like, no, 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 no. I'm vowing to kill you, Elijah. Now, Jezebel is one of the most evil women to live. She is such a powerful female dictator. And you think Ahab's in charge. He's really not in charge. This woman is in charge. Because she's really running the the country. And they feared her, and yet they mocked her behind her back. And one of the ways that they did this is through her name. In her country, her name was, the way they spelled stuff, it was like Y-Z-B-L, Jezebel, okay? And it means Bel is the prince, or or a variation of that. But Hebrew, when they translated to Hebrew, it was spelled A-W-Z-B-L. And Zabel in Hebrew means pile of dung, and A-W means where is it? So the queen comes walking down the road, and everybody's like, you know, Jezebel, you know, and, all, and they're saying, where is that pilot? And she's thinking, oh, they just love me. They keep calling out my name. And, and we don't get the sense that she ever understood this. Uh, but, you know, history tells us that. But, you know, here she is. I mean, she is such a, a character. But let's get, let's get into chapter 19. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a uh, messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I will make your life like uh, like that of one of them. In other words, I'm going to let you suffer and think about this for 24 hours before I come and get you. Because she could have sent people right then to get them, right? 
But no, no, no. I want you to think about this for 24 hours. I'm after you. Then verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. So even though Ahab, I mean, Elijah was fearless before Ahab and 450 prophets of Baal, when he heard Jezebel say this, or the, you know, through, through the messenger, fear took him over. Fear just gripped him. I mean, he took off that very day. He went from the northern part of the kingdom all the way down south through Israel, Israel to Beersheba. And you hear the term in the Bible from Dan to Beersheba because Dan was the northernmost you know, city and Beersheba was the southernmost city in Israel. So he went from the north. Well, he wasn't up in Dan, but he went from the northern part of the area down to Beersheba. He was running. He's going back to the desert. And he doesn't even stop in Beersheba. He leaves his servant and takes off even further into the desert. And it says in verse 4, While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey, uh, journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Harab. And Harab is, you know, another name for Harab is, is Sinai. Think of Moses. Think of the Ten Commandments, the mountain of God. Then he went into the cave and, and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Well, let's try to go back through this and kind of pick up on some things here. Try to get, you know, get the, into kind of into his thinking, into his head, because he is alone again. You know, the first time he was alone, he was in the desert, and, and what was happening, the ravens were bringing him bread, and he was by a brook, he had water, and, and the Lord was taking care of him the first time. You know, that's alone. But then there's also alone. You know what I'm saying? There's times when we're alone, but there's also times when we feel like we're alone. And that's how he's feeling here. This time is different. This alone is based on fear. I mean, what took him out into the desert in the first place? Fear. In hindsight, he should have brought a servant with him so he could go fetch water and do those different things that the servant would do. But no, he just takes off. He's running and he shouldn't be alone. Being alone will take, you know, would take us into our old sin, being, you know, take us into our old temptations. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and they said, well, when I went and did this, I was alone or I was by myself. They get away from their support group. They get away from, from their spouse or their children or something else. And when they go into sin, they're doing it a lot of times alone. I think Elijah should have stayed in Beersheba. 
And if you know anything about Beersheba, you would understand. This is a huge oasis in this part of the desert. It's very beautiful, has, you know, biblical and historical context. Uh, really, for the whole world, this is ancient Beersheba, um, some of the stuff that they've dug through. And, and this well that's here has been there forever, okay? And when I say that, as in people have been coming to this well since before Abraham. Abraham came to this well. Many, you know, biblical characters had come to this well. Wells in the desert don't change places. It's a place to get water. It's a place for safety. So we know that Abraham was here. God spoke to him, promised him Isaac, told him, you're going to be a father of, great, of a great nation. This is also where God appeared to Isaac, you know, when he was, you know, to Isaac when he was a great man. And, and there was a battle over this well with Abimelech. And God promised Isaac great things and said, you are going to be a father of a, of a huge nation. This is also where, where God, you know, brought Jacob. And his name was Israel by then. He was on his way, you know, to Egypt with, with 70 children and grandchildren. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation out of you. Go to Egypt. I have a plan. So when I, you know, I'm saying is Beersheba is a great biblical significance for Elijah. It held, I mean, he would understand the significance of this place. It's a place to rest, a place to recuperate, a place to, to be safe, to let God speak to you. But Elijah, he, he's not thinking straight. He doesn't have this perspective because he was so scared. He blasted right past it and isolates himself. He went into the wilderness, sat under a tree, and prayed that he might die. I mean, here's a guy that's running for his life. He finds complete safety, and he says to God, I want to die. There is no logic in depression. Do you understand me? When a person becomes depressed, there is no logic to it. He is worn out. Take my life right now. Now, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. It's not my gifting. I don't have the patience to it. If you come to me with with an issue and and I can't help you within three times of meeting with you about that that issue, then then we need to get you to somebody who is trained in that because I really don't have the patience for it because I'm kind of a black and white. You do this, this, and this. And if you don't start doing that, that, and that, I get irritated. Okay? That's just reality. I don't have the patience to be a therapist and a counselor and all that kind of stuff. Three sessions and then a bucha, okay? I mean, just say it. No, I mean, I find somebody who can help you is what I mean. <laughs> but let's take a stab at Elijah here. It doesn't mean I don't know about this stuff. It just means I'm not good at it. He is worn out. I mean, he is bummed out. He's officially depressed. There, I diagnosed him. Somebody give me 150 bucks. Isn't that how it works, right? Okay. I mean, look at this guy. He's letting his thoughts and anxieties rule over his life, isn't he? Man. He is, he is telling himself the situation is hopeless. You know, right after just a few days ago, he took care of 450 prophets, right? I mean, he went up against them. God hasn't changed, but Elijah is so worn out, he's allowing the circumstances to determine his mindset and his thinking. The circumstances, you know, is doing this to him, he thinks. But it's really not the circumstance. 
The circumstance can trigger things in us. It makes us do some things that unconsciously we make a decision to stay right there. But something has to trigger it. So what is it? Well, some of us kind of, you know, we can be more depressive than other people. It depends on our personalities and what's going on in our life. You know, some of us tend to, to be like that. But something usually triggers it, a, a trauma, an event, or, you know, an illness, or a loss, or a prolonged stress, or fear, not taking enough time off, the wrong kind of diet. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a chemical thing because, you know, sin entered in this world and messed up, you know, our, our bodies and our, our cells and everything else. I mean, we have cancer and everything else in this world. It's all related back to sin. But what was it for Elijah? Well, by reading this, we can see a couple of things. He was exhausted. And when you're exhausted, you're, you're vulnerable to negative thinking, aren't you? I mean, have you ever been tired? Usually when I'm more irritable, it's because I'm tired or, you know, I'm kind of negative in that. You know, I, you know, I'm, you know, you, you kind of get to, you ever been bone tired? You know what I'm saying? You know, you don't even know if you can drag yourself out of the chair to go to the next bedroom, you know, that type of thing. I mean, there's tired and then there's tired. I mean, there's times when, you know, you work on a hard project and you get done with that t- project and you get done and you're like, man, I'm, I'm just tired. It was a good project, but you're, it's a good tired, not a hopeless tired. And that's what Elijah's doing here. It's a different tire, uh, type of tired, physically, emotionally. He's spiritually tired. He's like, I am done, so just kill me, kill me now. Take me home, Jesus. Now, fortunately, God does not answer our prayers, right? Because I'm sure there's, there's a few of us that have felt that over the years at one point where we said, just, just take me home. If i got to deal with this, I'm done with it. Just take me home, Jesus. And Jesus is like, hmm, okay, not yet. What else is going on here? He's not only tired, but it's the why. He's been through a long, stressful period of personal danger and fear that could take anybody right to the edge of the cliff. I mean, he caused the drought by praying it. I mean, you know, I'm talking about in his thinking. He didn't really cause the drought. God said, pray when you say, you know, when you say the drought's going to start, I'll start it. God caused the drought as a punishment. But in his mind, I caused the drought. I had to confront the king. Then the prophets and these demonically possessed guys, I mean, that was his audience. Then he saw the, you know, the, the ex, you know, oversaw the execution of 400 men. I mean, witnessing a death can, can traumatize you. Imagine 450 of them. It was legal and right. Doesn't mean it was easy. Then he had to pray in a rainstorm. He ran for 20 miles. He, he was confronted by a representative, Jezebel. I mean, that was all in one day. You could, you could understand why he would go this direction. He earned the breakdown. He earned being able to fall apart. So he lays down, and he falls apart. Hopeless. I can't do this alone. It's interesting that these negative thoughts come off a very positive experience. I mean, he literally came off the mountaintop. And the mountaintop, I mean, he did phenomenal things for God. And he was not prepared for the valley. And he went right down into the valley. And he kept going and going 
and going. And this is why I love the Bible, and this is why I love that, that this is in here about Elijah, because up until chapter 19, I mean, Elijah's like Superman. I mean, Elijah and Elisha, you know, the two guys. I mean, you're just like, wow, both these guys. But Elijah's is just like the man. But now, guess what? We see that he's not always the man. We see that he's just like us. He's talking like we talk. God, I can't take this. I'm done. I am tired. Lord, kill me now if that's what it's going to take. Now, I mean, I've never confronted a king. I've never prayed in a drought myself. Uh, You know, I've never eaten food provided by birds. I've never called down fire from heaven. I've never prayed in rain. I've never brought somebody back to life. I've never done these things, but I've been so exhausted that I've panicked before. We've all been there. Gotten so fearful that I decided I need to quit at something. I've been alone when I should have been with somebody. I've been through traumas just like you've been through traumas. We've all been through traumas. Some traumas are different. Some are deeper than others. But we've all been there. So when I finally get to, to chapter 19, I think... Wow, thank God, he is just like you and I. We've built him up. We built these, you know, the 12 disciples, we build them up so much and we can never relate to them. We come to find out they're just like us. It's good to know. It's good that this is in the Bible. This is why I love the Bible. I'm sorry that Elijah had to go through this, but now I understand him even more. God isn't just about the victory. He's also a God who sees us when we're in our defeat and when we hide. He sees us when we tell ourselves it's not going to work out. I mean, he's the God that David says... Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I mean, we we didn't hear that praise song this morning on the stage, did we? I think next week, right? Work on that. We don't hear that one sung at a wedding. Oh, wait, wait, wrong example. Valley of shadow. Okay, no, no. But this is a good thing because, you know, I've read that 20 million people of, you know, 20 million Americans are dealing with sadness and depression. 20 million. And it's so cool that, the, you know, a chapter in the Bible, a book in the Bible includes this topic because this is a real issue for you and I. And just saying, oh, well, you just need to write, you know, read your Bible a little bit more. You just need to, to snap out of it because things will work out. That just that doesn't help most of the time. So we see how God treats them. We see how God treats Elijah, and we should do likewise. It also reminds me of how great people accomplish great things. And they have mountaintops, and they have low times. They have great, wonderful, just, I'm feeling like I'm on top of the world. I can't believe I accomplished this. And then they have times when they feel like, man, I, I'm, I'm done. I mean, not just Elijah. Can you think of anybody else? Think about Jonah. What a fun ministry Jonah had. I mean, he had the physical aspect of when he came out of the well, the blotchy skin, the bleach thing, you know, after the whole fish thing. Hair probably gone, probably couldn't ever eat fish again. 
I mean, poor guy. He felt so low because God wanted to save the wrong people. Wow. Now, go back to 100 years before that, those same people had raided his, his area and literally drug off some of his extended family. So you can see why he would feel that way. But, God, how dare you save these people? I mean, pull out any of Jonah's statements, you will find stuff like, Oh Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. It is right for me to be angry, even if it kills me. I mean, it's not a very good biblical role model, huh? Got to love that guy. I mean, listen to Jeremiah when Jeremiah is depressed. He said, Cursed be the day in which I was born. Cursed uh, birthday to me. Let the man be cursed who brought the news to my father, saying, A boy. Well, happy Father's Day. Why did I come forth from the wound to see labor and sorrow? Why doesn't someone kill me? My days are uh, consumed with shame. Listen to Solomon on a bad day. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit, do, what, what profit do I have from working so hard? One generation passes away and another comes. Everything is hard work. There is nothing new under the sun. If there is anything that is said that is new, no. There's nothing said that is new. Listen to Paul. Paul says this. I do not understand what I do for what I do I do not do, I'm sorry, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I, what I hate, I do. For I have uh, the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. When I want to do good, evil, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man am I, who will rescue me from this body of death? I never see those in those little pamphlets about God, you know, different things about God. You never see that statement there or the scripture of the day. Well, back to Elijah. How does he handle depression? First off, he runs. He gets alone. And we learn this is probably not the best. We need to find a good friend to talk to. We need to find people that we can can just discuss, you know, what's going on. I'm having a bad day. Not somebody who's just going to go, just buck up. But somebody who will listen to you. Somebody who will pray for you. Or you could look at it like this. He goes to a safe place. Now, he kept going out into the country or out into the desert when he should have stayed at the safe place. Do you have a safe place? I don't mean the half gallon of ice cream that, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, a safe place is good for us as long as we don't get to a point where we isolate ourselves because when we isolate ourselves, we start going down that path of staying away from people, going down that path of I'm the only one in this whole entire world that has ever dealt with this situation. Reality is there's other people who have gone through exactly what you've gone through that can help you. Secondly, he honestly cries out to God. And I love this about the Bible, guys. They do not say churchy prayers. You know, the flowery, churchy, perfect prayers that we go, wow, that guy can pray. He's honest. He prays real prayers. 
I am sick of this God. Everything stinks, God. It's good, you know, it's a good thing to, to, to just get it out, to talk, and preferably to God, not take it out on other people. But when you listen to Elijah's prayer, he's doing this all or nothing thing. And we do this when we get kind of depressed. Everything stinks in my life. Okay, reality, not everything stinks. But you're kind of viewing it that way. Because in your mind, it's, you know, you're saying it does. They are out to literally kill me. Okay, they're probably not out to kill us, are they? We may feel like it. I mean, Ahab's afraid of you. Israel likes you now. You brought back the rain. Only Jezebel is the one that's out to kill you. And she's always been out to kill you. She's been killing prophets for years. But he exaggerates here because he is so exhausted. And when we're exhausted, what do we do? We take the negative that was like this size and it becomes this size. And everybody around knows it's that size because we keep talking about it. And we minimize the positive. We want 100% solved problems. Now, if you can get 100% solved problems, come talk to me. Because, I, you know, I can only get about 88% solved. And I just have to put up with the, you know, the 12% that doesn't really get completely solved. You know what I'm saying? But in depression, we don't think like that. When I'm not depressed, I can say I can live with that. And this is why we need people to, to help, you know, drag us out of that depression. People around to lift us up in a sense. Now, before we move on, do you remember what he said about his father? He said, kill me now. I am no better than my father. Well, that's an interesting statement. We don't know if he's talking about his real father. Or are we talking about his ancestors like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Is he trying to live up to, to the role models that have gone before him? Interesting. Are we trying to live up to people or even surpass people that have gone before us? I mean, he's probably got a competitive nature. How many of us have a competitive nature? Okay. We have to be careful if we're competitive because, you know, if there's somebody that, that has gone before us and we try to compete or, you know, kind of, well, my mom was like this and I got to live up to my mom. I got to even do better than my mom or my father was just like this or my ancestors were just like this. I've got to do better than that or competing with our siblings or friends. Have to do these certain things or I'm just no good. We have to be careful of this. God didn't call Elijah to be better than other people. God called Elijah to be Elijah. And Elijah is sitting out in the wilderness crying that he's not Moses or Abraham or someone else. And he'll waste his life away unless he try, you know, while he's trying to figure out who he is, unless he allows the Lord to come into it. There's only one you, and you can't be someone else. So whoever you're trying to live up to, just forget that person. You cannot do that. They're not perfect. Don't compare your worst trait to their best trait. It never works out. Give yourself permission to have great role models and emulate them up to a point. Because at that point, you have to say, you be you. I mean, literally, you have to be you. 
You can't be someone else. You know, we talked about this on Wednesday night. You know, uh, you know so many people are like, be all that you can be, you know, in the army. Okay, not the army, but, you know, in life. They're saying, be all that you can be, or you can be anything. No, you can't be anything. I'm sorry. We can only have one president at the same time, okay? No matter how much Mitt Romney wanted to be president, Mitt Romney's not going to be a president, Okay? No matter how much that, you know, other people want to be, you know, the, the quarterback of the team, not everybody can be quarterback of the team. Only one can. You know, some of it is, well, that person got there first. Some of it is, you just don't got the skills. See what I'm saying? You have to be you. You can't be someone else. Because if you try to be someone else, you're headed toward a major identity crisis. Okay, verse 5, and we're moving very quickly here says then he lay down under a there we go then he lay down under a tree and fell asleep all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water he ate and drank and then lay down again elijah is so exhausted he doesn't even hear the baking going on he doesn't even hear the fire the cooking going on he and you know this is like a several hour process out there it's not a oh 20 minutes i'll put it in the oven and just you know so, I mean, he gets up, he eats, and he's so exhausted, he doesn't even realize an angel is feeding him, and he goes back to sleep. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for your journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Now, an interesting thing. Anytime the Bible says uh, the term the angel of the Lord, do you know who, he's talking about, uh, who the Bible's talking about? It's talking about Jesus. Okay? So don't just don't um, don't mix up when it says the angel of the Lord versus the angel. Okay, Jesus is not an angel, but that term angel of the Lord is talking about Jesus, God Himself. So you have Jesus coming, and Elijah's asleep, and God is you know makes him a meal, kind of like Peter at the seashore. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is here cooking. He eats and, and you know, and then goes back to sleep. Sleep. Elijah does, and Jesus stays around and makes him another meal. Wakes him up and feeds him. See, the Lord is with us, especially when we are depressed, especially when we're going through a low time. And if we allow the Lord to take care of us, you will feel His presence if you let Him. It says here he was strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Herob, the mountain of God. And Jesus, is, in a sense, was feeding him to prepare him for the desert. And so he goes to Mount Sinai, and, and, then, and then it says, Then he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, isn't this a great question? What are you doing here? Now, I would imagine Elijah probably went into the kid mode of that whiny voice. You know, when Brandon gets upset, it's just, <laughs> you know, and you have to, okay, I can't even understand you, Brandon. And when you calm down, we can discuss this. But until you stop, you know, crying like that, we can't talk about this. I, I, I've been very zealous with the Lord God Almighty. They rejected your covenant and they oh, broke down your altars and put the prophet. You know, and the Lord's sitting there going, oh, come on. And Jesus looks at him and says, later on, Elijah, they're going to call this uh, the Elijah, you know, complex. I'm the only one. If I don't do it, no one else is going to be able to, to do it, you know, and, and I'm the one that's in danger. And you know what I found out over the years? 
no matter what position you are in life, you can be replaced. You can be. Now, it may take three people to replace you, but guess what? If that's what needs to happen, three people will replace you. They may not do the job the same way, but guess what? You can be replaced. So don't ever get this complex of, I'm the only one. No one can ever do it like I do it. Well, yeah, they'll just do it in a different way and get it done, okay? He's feeling sorry for for himself. He is venting. And we can try to reason with him like I do with my son. You know, this is why pastors make lousy counselors. Oh, Elijah, this is not scriptural. Let's just open your Bible. But God doesn't do that. He could have said, well, what about Obadiah? I mean, he's living in the palace. You know, do you think you have it bad? He's having to deal with it every day. I mean, later on he does say, hey, I have 7,000 other guys like you. 7,000 prophets out there who didn't bow down to Baal. What are you doing here? You've isolated yourself. No wonder why you feel so lonely. Verse 11, it says... Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains, uh, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, when you get that question twice, I mean, has God ever come to you and ask you the same question again? Yeah, yeah. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. This is like the the tape in the mind. It's just saying the same thing over and over. Here's my answer. You want to know what I'm doing here? I've I've been going over this, Lord. I already told you once. Let me tell you again exactly the same way. It's getting good at this speech. But you know what? The circumstances didn't cause this. The circumstances triggered this. But he's feeding into it. And the Lord does a very interesting thing. He doesn't uh, hug him. He doesn't pat him. He doesn't uh, pat him on the back or hug him and hold him and all those wonderful things. He's kind of already done that when he fed him and took care of him and all those things. Already cooked for him. But now... It says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Amaron, and anoint Jehu, son of uh, Nemesh, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaph, uh, that guy's name from Abel, whatever, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. He basically says, Elijah, I took care of you, but now it's time to go back to work. I need you to get back out there in the world. I have a job for you. I want you to go to anoint this king. And Ahab, you know, Ahab is done. Jeze, you know, Jezebel will not like it, but I'll protect you. 
here's a new prophet that's going to going to replace you. You guys are going to work together for a little bit, but he's going to be the one in charge. You know, his name is very similar to you guys, to yours, and everybody will get them all mixed up from now until eternity. But I got a job for you, and you need to go and do it. And you're not alone. There's seven thousand others out there. You know, this tells me that too often we feel alone. Too often we feel like we're the only ones going through this certain situation. Whether it's with family, whether it's with job, whether it's with children, whether it's with, you know, co-workers, whether it's with so many different people, we feel like we're alone. And the problem is, is when we feel like that, we run to be alone, don't we? We run that way. I want to encourage you not to run. Go to friends. Go to family. That's why we're trying to, to build relationships within the church. So, so when you do have a difficult day, you can call one another up. You can say, man, I need, I need some help on this. Or I need some prayer. I, I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. Just pray for me. If we're not willing to open up to each other, how in the world are we going to open up to this world? How are we going to go out there and say that God loves you? Oh, by the way, my life is falling apart. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I kind of joke, and I don't mean to joke, because it's a very personal thing when we go through those things. I mean, I, I, I don't want to make light of depression and, and those type of feelings, because those are very difficult things to deal with. So don't get me wrong, but we need not to hide. We need to support one another. And when somebody goes through that, we need to surround them with love and care for a little while. And then we need to be like the Lord and say, okay, now it's time to get back to work. Because God is not done with us until the day that we die. And we don't choose that day. You know, there are times when we feel like, okay, Lord, just take me now. And God's like, no, 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 no. I number your days. You don't number your days. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't the worship team come up and... Dismiss us with a song as we stand and and pray. Lord, I, I pray for those that go through difficult times with depression. I pray that you help them understand that they are not alone, that we may not understand every little nuance of, of their life and what they're going through, but we are here to support one another. And I pray that you give us those opportunities to support that you help make an impression upon us that, that we don't have to run and hide. That we can be loved. We are not worthless. We are loved by you, Lord. And you will ultimately take care of us if we allow you to. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord put life and, and light into those areas of, of depression that we each have that we not run and hide because we know the Lord is there. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine down upon you. May His face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.